Uh, open your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter in chapter number 3. If you want to stand, we're going to read <coughs> several verses out of 2 Peter chapter number 3. I would say it's ironic uh, in regards to my stupid comments earlier. Brother Osteen is preaching tonight. It's a different Brother Osteen, you're aware. So I don't know what I was thinking when I was being dumb there, but... Tonight, Brother Osteen, Brother Steve Osteen is going to be preaching here in the service, so I know you'll appreciate hearing him. Second Peter chapter number three, I want to, uh, if you follow along as I read these first 14 verses, and um, I think this really just is this entire thought, this text, these first 14 verses all um, are cohesive and come together. <clears throat> This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. That ye be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and by the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Reminding all of us of some things that we know and have been written and spoken about before. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, here's what these scoffers are going to say, where's the promise of his coming? Been hearing about this for a long time, hadn't happened. And they go on to say this, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Just saying, remember, that's not so. Things haven't always just gone on and on and on. There was a guy named Noah. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, Again, this word in verse 8, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is, is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. It's going to happen, he says. Now seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? in all holy conversation and godliness. 
looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. This phrase in verse 15 an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. I've entitled this message this morning, Don't Be Ignorant. Or as we may say, don't be ignorant. <laughs> don't be ignorant. Now we're not going to cover this whole, this whole text here, but it certainly all makes sense together. But I do want to point out a few things out of here where Peter is admonishing us not to be ignorant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful we can all be here together and these, and that we're well, and our folks who aren't well and are dealing with illness this morning, would you give healing and grace to all of them? I pray that you'd speak to our hearts through your word and that we would have listening ears and respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Don't be ignorant. There's this old adage I know you've heard many, many times. It goes like this, time flies. I was looking yesterday on the internet and everything on there is true. I wanted to tell you that. <laughs> Scientists have this formula that explains why the older you get, the faster time seems to go. I didn't ever believe, I never believed that as a child. I mean, Christmas was, would never come when you're a kid, right? But there is something to that. The older you get, time just seems to just fly by. Just yesterday, I'm looking back on my own life. I was in the first grade and I remember I cried because Mrs. Hayes swatted my bottom because <laughs> I was standing in the line to sharpen my pencil when it was already sharp. <laughs> I still remember that in the first grade. And it's just like in my mind yesterday, I remember being in the fifth grade and I was in love with Miss Monroe and then over the summer, she got married <laughs> and became Mrs. Something or other. don't remember. But. I remember just like it was yesterday being in the eighth grade and on the track team. And I never got close to winning one race. But I really pretty looked pretty good in that uniform looking back. Just yesterday, I remember my 16th birthday, and I got my driver's license and tickets soon thereafter. <laughs> I mean, it was just in my mind yesterday, I remember leaving home for college and wishing I had listened to my mother when she told me how to operate the washing machine. 
And I remember, it just seems like yesterday, I got married. And that was a really good thing because I still couldn't operate the washing machine. <laughs> seems just like yesterday, our first child came along. More dirty laundry. Just yesterday, our last, our fourth came along, our baby. He'll be 30. It's the next birthday. And you, I'm like you. I'm asking myself, <clears throat> where did this time go? And why, how have I lost a handle on the passing of time? And it seemed back then in those days that I, I had so much time to do the things that I wanted to do. But you know and I know the truth is I didn't because time, it just flies. And you turn around, students, let me tell you, you turn around and more than half your life is over and it's just gone by in an instant. Now God talks about time and he tries in his word to help us remember and be aware of the passage of time and how little time you and I really do have. And he also tries to make us understand how we see time and how God sees time are two totally different concepts. The word ignorant is used in this passage we read twice in verse 8. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. And then he references time. In the Bible, in the New Testament, or in fact in the whole Bible, the word ignorant is used 17 times. And it's not necessarily a negative word. Webster de defines it like this, a person untaught or uninformed or unskilled. So the very last time in the Bible the word ignorant is used is right here in verse 8. The very last. It's almost as if the last thing that God does not want us to be ignorant about is this. Understand, as he puts it, this one truth. And it has to do with time. And how we look at time. And how God looks at time. These three things about time I want to talk about. And point out some, not everything in this passage, obviously, but some important things in this passage. Number one, that God is the author of time. Number two, God works according to his own time. And number three, God gives us time. So number one, God is the author, the inventor of time. Think of that. God is the inventor of time as we know it, as well as all of the other laws we call them of nature. God is the originator, the inventor of all those laws. So think of this. God created time. He created 
gravity. He created all the natural laws that we live under for our benefit. Now, we can only break those laws to our detriment. If we break the laws of God, there are consequences. We are bound by them and we must then live by them. I'm guessing there's not a man, a boy in this room who at least once in his life thought with a bath towel as a parachute, he could jump off of whatever. Almost all of us thought us supermen at one point in our lives, and we learned the hard truth. You don't break God's laws without consequence. But I want you to think about this. God is not bound by those very same laws that he has created that you and I are bound. Now, you've heard of the laws of thermodynamics. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a, anything close to that. But if you've heard or have been introduced, maybe you can remember in school talking about the laws of thermodynamics. Uh, science has basically observed nature and put into uh, order these laws that help us understand how the universe operates. The very first law is this. Energy can never be created or destroyed, but it can be transformed into one, from one form into another. Think of that. It's a law that man has observed that energy can never be created or destroyed. It can be transformed from one form into another. So when you put gas in your car, the car's engine transforms energy from one form into another friction. And then your car goes down the road. Can I tell you that God breaks or has broken and will break that law? God stepped on nothing. And created everything. You look on a, on, a, on a summer day. Someday we'll have one again. You look on a summer day and you think of the sun. And the energy that the sun is generating is off any scale that man could possibly devise. The energy that is every second being put out by the sun is more than we can possibly measure. Guess what? God made it. From absolutely nothing, God created it. And the solar system that we live in, I'm just talking about our solar system. God created from nothing. And think of not just our own solar system, but there are countless solar systems in the universe, systems that are full of countless planets, and God created all of them with nothing but his word. He broke the law. Thermodynamics. And this earth that you and I live on and all the planets that are circling constantly in their orbits, God created from nothing. And everything you and I see 
and everything that you and I cannot see, which is even more, God spoke into existence. God isn't subject to that law. He's the creator and he is the originator of energy and everything else. That's the first law of thermodynamics that man has observed. There's a second one that will really ring home to you. The second law of thermodynamics is called entropy. Scientists can do this. They can calculate the amount of energy lost during any process, and they call that measurement entropy. In other words, just to put it in ways that we, we understand easily, everything runs down. Everything runs down. Rocks, did you, a rock is pretty tough. It'll erode. Furniture falls apart. Metal corrodes. Your brand new car will eventually stop. Rivers even dry up. Everything is subject to this law that things will eventually run down. If more energy is infused into something, it will live longer, but eventually left to itself, things will break down. Did you know the sun just mentioned how powerful it is and the energy that's coming from it? Every second is immeasurable. The sun is so powerful. Did you know that it is getting smaller According to scientists, there's only five billion years left in it. <laughs> but you and I know that every politician certainly reminds us that we're using up our resources. But how about this? You know, you're running down. You're running down. Now, you know, if you're in here and you're under... 30, you don't think you're running down. But I feel it. Most of you feel it. How many of you men in this room, at some point, you watched the basketball game? I'm talking about the pickup game or outside or somewhere, a bunch of guys, and you said, I can still play basketball. You said, can I play? Yeah, get in here, man, get in here. And you, and you run around a little bit, and you tried to jump a couple times, and then you said, you know what? I can't play no more. Or you played real hard. And you tried to keep up with the young guys and you tried to make sure everybody knew that I'm a player and you ran and you jumped and you hit and you elbowed a man at the end. Hey, man, you're great. I know I'm good. And the next day <laughs> you couldn't move. You know what that is? That's entropy. Science would say, oh, you're you're running down. Your mind says you can run that far and that fast. Your mind says you can lift that. Your mind says you can compete with those who are half your age. But then you, roll, you run up against the law. You can't break it. 
God broke it. You read in the, in the book of Genesis about creation and the Bible says, and I believe it and I know you believe it and evolution and all evolutionists will just have to take a, a side because the Bible is true and it said God created everything that we know and see in six days, including those vast universes we can't see. And then the Bible says he rested. Oh, he must have got tired. He must have run down. Entropy, God, that law of thermodynamics even appealed to God. Did he run out of gas? No. You know why he rested? Because he was done. He was finished. And he even said himself, it's good. Isaiah put it this way. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not? Neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. God doesn't run down. You're going to run down. All of us feel it. Where we just something at some point, finally we realize I'm not going to last forever. I'm running down. God breaks that law. How about this? This law, the law of space. And by that, I mean this, you and I can only be in one place at one time. You can't be in two places at one time. Everybody knows that. We can't even instantly be transported from one place to another. There's this law that says you can only occupy one place in space at any given moment. It's just a law. It's universal law that one person breaks. And that's God. He breaks that law. Did you know if we could possibly get a jet that would take us to what we used to call the planet Pluto? It's been denigrated lately. If we got in a jet and we were going to travel to Pluto, it would take 685 years to get there by jet. That's a lot of little bags of peanuts. But if we could get in a spaceship that travels much faster than a jet, we could arrive there in only 11 years. Our closest star to the Earth, Alpha Centauri, by jet, would take us four and a half million years to reach. Did you know in the Bible we're even clued in at times that even angels as powerful as we see them to be, are limited by space? You read in Daniel. As Daniel prayed, the angel started heading his way and was, was hindered by some of the forces of darkness. Even an angel who was heading from heaven to Daniel's side couldn't be there in just that fast. He had to travel through space. Even angels are limited, but not God. God can be next to the world's most important people as they make the decisions that affect nations and at the same time at the bedside of a young mom as she cares for her sick little one or in the hospital room as a family gathers to say goodbye to their last or right at your side as you pray. 
God can be in all those places at the same time. God breaks this law of space. But then there's this law. And this passage is really talking about this law. And that's this law of time. Listen to this quote. God works in time, but is not bound by time. Think of that. God works in this realm of time, but he's not bound by time. The basic laws of time that all of us live in have no effect on God. That's hard for us to grasp because we're so time-oriented. And everything that we think of, we think of in respect to how much time. Listen to these verses, Psalm 90. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. It's hard for us to grasp, but we must affirm at least this concept that God is eternal. He has always been, and he will always be, and he's unaffected. He, he's unaffected by what we call the passing of time. We all feel the effects of the passing of time. It impacts us. We look back and we wonder, where did, the, where did those years go? Where did that year go? Where did 2020 go? It's 2022. Where did 1970 go? All of us think that way. We all wonder how the time and the years and where the decades went. But God is not affected by the passing of time. Number two, God works according to his own time. This is where sometimes we collide with how God operates and how we think. God works according to his own time. Why does God in verse number eight want to make certain we're not ignorant of these facts of time and how God views time, that he's the author of time and that he is not bound by time? Why is God so, so uh, adamant that we're not ignorant of how this works and how time according to him works and according to us works and these differences? Why is that so that he wants us to make sure that we're not ignorant of it? And there's, here's some things. Number Number one, God will keep the promise of his return according to his time. As he says in verse number four, those scoffers say, where is the promise of his coming? God says he's going to keep that promise. And because, the, and, I, and I understand, and I've been there, and I've heard of the coming of Jesus, the rapture, and the second coming all my life. And because the return of Christ obviously hasn't taken place, and because everything just seems to go on without any kind of interruption, then those scoffers can come alongside and say, see, this promise of his coming is just a... Uh, 
a fantasy because things haven't changed since the very beginning until now. Nothing has interrupted this flow of people living and dying. Everything has just gone on. God's not going to come back and interrupt time. And he reminds us in verse 5 and 6, hey, things haven't always gone on without God's interruption. He intervened and interrupted this world with the flood. And they scoffed at Moses. And the flood seemed far-fetched. This idea that water would cover the earth was nothing more than a fantasy. And Moses for years preached this truth. Did God keep his promise? He did. It was according to his time, but he did. And if there's, if there's one thing that all of us have learned the last couple years, it's this. Things don't always just go on and on without some change. All it took was a virus that none of us can see for the world to be turned upside down. What things just keep on going? Nothing ever seems to change. There's no interruption. I don't think so. And it certainly may seem as if his return is science fiction. But be confident of this. God is not slack concerning his promises. He will return. And he will do it at the Perfect time. Don't even bother trying to put a date on it. You just look goofy. Don't bother trying to point to all the signs. It's, he's got to come tomorrow. If he, he's certainly got to come this year. Don't even worry about it or bother putting on dates or saying it must happen then or it's going to happen this year for sure. Don't worry about that because he's going to come in his Time. That's the first thing you want. Don't be ignorant of this. I operate according to my time, and I'm going to come according to my time. And then he says this in verse number seven. He gives us, introduces this in verse number seven. The judgment of the unrighteous is certain. But it's according to his time. Notice how he puts it in verse number seven. By the heavens and earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I'm going to judge. I'm going to judge unrighteousness. I'm going to judge the ungodly and the unbelieving. But I'm going to do it in my time. It's easy for us to get upset and all worked up because people who are unrighteous or ungodly or wicked seem to rule and get by with whatever they want to get by with and do whatever they want to do and live however they want to live and nothing seems to happen to them. Asaph said it in the, in the Psalms. People have been dealing with that 
for generations now as we watch the wicked just go on and they never seem to deal with any of the consequences. God's just letting them off. He says, wait a minute. I'm going to take care of that. But it's going to be in my time. And I'm going to judge the ungodly and I'm going to set things in order and I'm going to take care of all this. But it's going to be in my time. And those who think they're getting away with something are not. And those who think their deeds are going to be unpunished are not. Listen to Romans chapter 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, thou shalt escape the judgment of God? You know, as believers, and this is hard, we need to leave the judgment of God with God. We need to leave the timing of God's judgment with God. And God, I know, are you seeing what's going on? Let's let God take care of the wicked. Let's let God take care of the injustice. Let's let God take care of all that. And he promises to do so. He said over and over he will. But it's in his time. His time. And remember, his time and my time, not the same. And this also to do with time. God extends his mercy and long-suffering to us in this time. In verse number 9, he says it, not willing that any should perish. Why are you waiting, God, to judge? Because he's not willing that any should perish. God, why don't you just send fire? You know how the disciples were. When they saw guys doing what they were, hey, Jesus, you want me to call down the fire or you? Which of the two of us are going to take care of this right now? He says, he's not willing that any should perish. Why is he waiting? He's not willing that any should perish. Look what it says in verse 15. And account the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. If you're like me, I always want somebody else to get it. But I'm so glad God's long suffering with me. When you really think about it, all of us are benefits of God's patience and long suffering. And if God dealt with men according to the schedule that we would want him to deal, I don't know if there'd be anybody on this planet. But he's long suffering and he's patient. And he operates on a difference. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad God's schedule and mine aren't the same? I'm glad he didn't flick me off the earth before I received him. And since then, he could have many other times, but he's so patient. God works, but not on our schedule. God answers prayer, but according to his schedule. God meets needs, but it's according to his schedule. And God will set things right, but it's according to his schedule. Now, this last thing, God gives us time you know, according to the Bible, God has given each of us a certain measure of this thing we call time. Listen to the psalmist. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off. 
we fly away. Job put it this way, man that is born of a woman is a few days full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. In comparison to eternity, our life, your life, even if it's long, even if you live to be a ripe old age of a hundred, in comparison to eternity, can I tell you it's not a blip on the screen? It, it doesn't even measure. It's here today, gone tomorrow. And then to mention or to bring in, as he's mentioning here, the rapture could happen at any time and time will be no more. Can I just tell you, your life is going to be over that fast. It's a handbreadth. It's a mist and it's a smoke that comes and then it is gone. God gives us time, but it's short. So what do we do? In verse number 14, he said, listen, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, by such things, he's referring to the world leaving. He's referring to the destruction of the world and the return of Christ and new heavens and new earth. In other words, he's saying, seeing that everything you know is going to be different, that life, is going to, as you know, is going to be over, whether you die or whether the Lord comes or whatever happens, seeing that everything that you know and time as we know it is all going to be ended, keeping that in mind, he says in verse 14, do this. Be diligent that ye be found of him. And then he gives us these three things. In peace, without spot, blameless. It's all going to be over someday. Your life is going to be over. The, the book is going to be written on you. He's going to, you're going to be found in him. It's all going to be done. And he says, in the meantime, Peter says, be diligent about this. Be diligent to be, first of all, in peace. Look that up means what you think it means, a state of quiet or tranquility, freedom from disturbance or agitation. It's applicable to society or to individuals. Be a person of peace. If I could put it this way, life's too short to always be worked up. Life's too short to not be at peace. Life's too short to always have something going and always be worked up with something and have some drama going in your life all the time. Life's too short for that. He says, be at peace. Be at peace. Be at peace with man. In Hebrews chapter 12, follow peace with all men. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Don't be someone who's always generating strife or dissension. Life's too short. Be at peace with each other. Be at peace with God. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Be at peace with yourself. In Isaiah chapter 26, thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Be at peace. Oh, I can't be at peace, Brother Ted. You should see my life. There's so much chaos and drama in my world. 
There's no way for peace. Can I tell you, your mind kept on him, even when all around is storm and chaos, you can have peace. And that's not a denial of reality. That's simply holding on to the one who rules reality. He said, be at peace. He said, be without spot. What does that mean? Be without spot. I think it just simply means this. This world we live in, it's dirty. You walk around in it for a day, guess what? You get splashed on. You can't help it. You're just hanging out in this world and we, this is the world we have. And as we live this world and as we go from place to place, every now and then it can spot us and it can leave stains. When Jesus was talking to Peter there and he says, hey, Peter, remember he was going to wash his feet. And Peter said, I, if you, I, I need a whole bath. <laughs> Jesus said, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. Hey, believer, you don't get saved again because the world splashed on you, but you definitely wash the spots. You wash your feet. We continually ask God for the cleanse us and to forgive us and to get the stains that we pick up every day. Because when we meet him, we want to be found with clean feet, without spot. And then as he puts it, blameless. Simply means this, innocent, guiltless. Our conduct would be, in front of the world would be such that we would appear at least to be without fault. Jesus put it this way, let your light show so, so shine before men that they might see your good works. That's what he's saying. Statistics tell us this. The average woman's going to live 79 years in the United States. The average man, 72 and a half. That's not fair. <laughs> so we'll average that to 76 years. That's 912 months. 332,880 days. 7,980,920 hours. But that's just time. That's how we measure our existence is just time. Is not the writer just encouraging us? I want you to be, don't be ignorant of this. Time in God's eyes and time in our eyes is not the same. So take the time that God has given you and use it wisely. And when he comes which he promised to do and he will do. Or when you pass from this life, which experience tells us happens to everyone because we're all running down, he's going to find us in a certain state at peace and spotless and blameless. He's saying, hey, don't be ignorant. Understand time in the light of eternity because there's going to be... This is hard for us to imagine. There's going to be a time when time is no more. There's no time. There's no watch. There's no reason to track time. Do you know him? 
If you don't know him this morning, can I tell you this? Time is not on your side. Proverbs put it this way. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Why does he say that? Because we are not promised one more second on this earth. And the time for you to meet God, even if it's a long way off, is sooner than you thought it would be. And if that never happens, if Jesus comes, it could happen at any moment. Any moment. Are you ready to meet him? By that I mean, do you know him and the forgiveness of sins? Because you don't have to spend one more second wondering, where will I spend eternity? You don't have to spend any more time, waste any more time wondering that. You can have your eternity secure this morning. If you don't know him, you can know him today. And believers, we are encouraged once again to use the time we've been given wisely. Because one day, it's all going to be over. Whether we die or meet him in the air, our time on this earth is short at best. One day it'll be finished. Will you be happy with how you spent the time God gave you? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I want to have a word of prayer with you. Before I do that, I certainly want to know how to pray, better pray for you. I would ask this question. If you know Christ as your Savior here this morning, you know that your sins are forgiven. There was a time where you received Christ as your Savior, trusting in Him. You called upon Him for the forgiveness of your sins. doesn't mean you're perfect or know everything. But you know that that happened to you one day. You, you were saved. That's your testimony. If that's true for you, would you raise your hand and say, I know I'm saved. I'm not everything that I'm supposed to be, but I know I'm saved. Yes, hands all over. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Is there one that would say, would you pray for me, Brother Ted, because I'm not sure of my salvation. I don't know that my sins are forgiven or I'm confused about it or I have serious questions about it, but I'd like for you to pray for me. I would certainly do that if I, if I knew that you were wondering or questioning or wanting prayer in that way. Would you raise your hand so I would know? Pray for me, Brother Ted. I'm not sure of my salvation, but I'm concerned enough to raise my hand right here. Yes, sir, I see your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Pray for me, Brother Ted, about this thing of salvation. Believer, are you spending this time God give you wisely? Are you going to be happy to see him? Or, like all of us, have you looked back on certain segments of your life and saw that that was wasted? Wasted in regards to importance of eternity. Maybe Peter's just calling us to keep in mind time's moving. We're not going to be here forever. Live for him. If God spoke to you that way, I pray you'd respond. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this word and how 
it speaks to me, it speaks to all of us about time and taking care that we use our time wisely. And one day we'll be with you and it'll be important how we spend our time. Right here in this room, at least one raised his hand that he wasn't sure about his salvation. And I pray for him. And I pray that if he's needing to talk with someone, if he's unsure of his salvation, that he would come forward during our invitation so someone could talk with him from the Bible, how the Bible says a person can know for sure that their sins are forgiven and they have a home in heaven. There may be others, even some who didn't raise their hands. However, I pray you'd speak to hearts, believers. If you've spoken to the hearts of believers, even right now, I pray they're responding right there in their chair. Have your way in our time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.